Welcome to Dear DL, your resource for honest advice and realness from life as a pre-med to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, and I'm a current fourth-year osteopathic medical student. I'm applying to neurology residency currently. That's what's going on with me. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick disclaimer that everything that we're going to be talking about today is my own journey, my own opinion. They're not facts. I mean, some of them are facts, but a lot of them are just my opinion. Okay, so today we're going to talk about step two. As far as third year goes, I think that step two is something that's looming over a lot of people's heads. And I think that the stress keeps going until dedicated starts. So when do you do dedicated? Should you take step two in addition to level two? How do you prepare? How do you go about even getting started We're going to go over all of that and more today. Starting with my own journey, I'm going to let you guys know how I went from a good score to a great score. I improved my level two by over 130 points, which is crazy to say out loud. And then I improved my step two by over 30 points. So we're going to go through what I did, what my opinions are. Like I said before, these are just my opinions. These are not facts. Okay, so who should take step two? Going into competitive specialties, I think that step two would be important. Step two is what allows residency programs to say, hey, this person literally took the exact same test as the MD candidate sitting next to them, right? So I think that there's nothing nothing better than just allowing them to see, hey, I know that I went to a DO school that has no disadvantage to me whatsoever. I'm just as good. I took two tests. I took a test for my DO school, the level, and then I also went ahead and took this test, literally just for you, just for you to know that I can hang with the MDs. I am here. I think that it's beneficial for people to take step two. I took step one and step two. I think it's important, but Don't take it, one, if you're not passing NVMe exams. Even if you really, really wanted to take it, but you're not passing the NVMe exams, don't think, oh, I'm just not passing the NVMe exam. When it comes to the real thing, I'll pass. That's not not a good way of looking at it because you need to practice how you play. NVMe exams are basically the one thing that the NVMe gives us to say, Am I prepared to take this test or not? It's the closest thing that we have to the real test. So that's what you should be basing, am I going to pass on? Anyone who wants their application to be super competitive and get into a traditionally MD program should be taking step two. People who might not need to take step two are basically anyone, but especially people going into family med, IM, and PEDS that don't want to go to a traditionally MD program. There are so many programs out there that are traditionally DO. Even even surgical specialties, even very, very competitive specialties that are traditionally only DO, I guess you wouldn't need a step two. But I would just say for me, I thought that this was the best thing to show residency programs that, hey, I'm on a level playing field here. I'm doing just as much as the MD programs, I'm competing with them basically for this spot and I can show you in their own words that I'm just as good because it's hard to it's hard to compare apples to oranges by taking step two you're basically giving them an apple to compare to their apple right I know I took step two 
and level two, but you can look at my step two and compare me to all the MDU candidates. You can look at my my level two and compare me to all the DO candidates. And that way, I'm an open book. That's just some food for thought. You do you. If you don't want to take step two and you're like, man, this is BS that I have to take another exam in addition to the one that I'm already required to take and it's 700 something dollars and it's a whole day of my life, then don't take it. No one's forcing you. I just, uh, that was the right choice for me, but you can do you. How to prepare for level one, step one, the whole nine. I think starting at the very beginning of third year is kind of how you need to be thinking about these tests. These are not tests that you can just study for four weeks and say, oh, that's as good as it's going to get, I guess. For these tests, you need to be preparing starting with the COMAT, starting with the shelf exams. So for COMATs, they've actually done studies that show that how well you do on the COMATs has actual implications with how well you're going to do on the level. So just taking that with a with a grain of salt, like, okay, if you're, if you're doing really well on all your COMATs, that probably means that you're going to do well on the level. But don't, don't be like, oh, well, I did well on all the COMATs, so I don't need to study for level. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if you're not doing well on your COMATs, you need to be really kicking it into gear to get ready for level. So how did I prepare for COMATs? How did I go about my clinical rotations kind of studying wise is I had my required materials by my school. That was online med ed, ComQuest. Those were kind of required. Online med ed has videos and practice questions, but it's very much surface level trying to get, you know, just the basics. And then their practice questions are just kind of bad. They're not great. It's all done by the same guy. I don't even know what kind of doctor he is, but he teaches on things that aren't his wheelhouse, which is intrinsically problematic for me as a student. Anyway, that's my that's my spiel on online med ed. ComQuest, I just took them because that one, they had a lot of OPP practice questions. They weren't always the best questions. Some of them had a lot of typos in them. Some of them had answers that you were like, dude, you couldn't you couldn't even get there with what you gave me. Like it wasn't possible. So taking those scores with a grain of salt, but kind of just using them for content review and OMT practice questions. I know that a lot of other schools do True Learn, which also has OPP content or Luxurio or USMLERX. Those are all very good for just basic understanding for your comats kind of surface level, not nothing extravagant. What a lot of schools do to supplement those resources are UWorld. So UWorld's kind of the gold standard for practice questions when it comes to step two, level two. UWorld also has an OMT package that not a lot of people know about. I think it's an extra $100. So I would highly recommend that. For COMATS though, for UWorld, if you are on your surgical clerkship, you should be trying to finish your surgery UWorld questions by the time that you take your surgery comat. That should be your timeline. So I know that it's a ton of questions, but you should be getting to that point or at least really, really close. In addition to those UWorld questions that you're doing, whenever you get a question wrong, or if you get a question right for the wrong reasons, you should be making an Anki card on it. At least one, maximum two Anki cards because you don't want to overwhelm yourself. And then you're going to put these Anki cards into a missed questions Anki deck. Throughout third year, this is going to be the one deck 
that you are always going to do. You are going to do this deck every single day. You're never going to skip days on this missed questions deck because it can accumulate very, very quickly. For example, if you had your surgery come at in August, all of those surgery questions that you did on UWorld to prepare for that comat, all of those questions that you missed went into that missed questions deck. That deck now contains surgery questions, okay? But you're going to continue to do it the next month when you're on your peds rotation. And then all the peds UWorld questions that you get wrong are also going to go into that miscues deck. And you're just going to keep that deck going for the entire year. And that way you have this running rotation of cumulative cards. So you're always keeping yourself up to date without having to do all of the Zonki cards all of the time. It could be beneficial if you wanted to keep up your Tazonki. I use Tazonki throughout the year. So when I was on my surgery rotation, I did all of the surgery Tazonki cards in that deck. If I did it in August, I just stopped that deck though. At the end of the rotation, I stopped that Tazonki surgery deck and I moved on to my Peds Tazonki deck. What a lot of people do that can be beneficial, especially if you're going into third year, not feeling very confident in yourself, is you can continue those cards rolling until you're step two, level two. So that would mean that you have a ton of cards to review every single day. For me, that was overwhelming. If you want to do that and you're a gunner and you're like, nope, I'm going to keep these cards going the entire time, all of them, you do you, I believe in you. So... Back to Comats. So online meted, Comquest, those were required. I did the UWorld. I did the Tazanki. What if I want more? What if I want more resources? Um, well, you can always supplement with Amboss. I am a huge proponent of Amboss. I think that their library articles are so good just to have as easy access, high yield points, especially when you have the app on your phone and you're able to just kind of like review on the go, especially when you're rounding. If your preceptor asks you a quick question about pulmonary hypertension, you can literally just go on your phone, look up the AMBOSS article for pulmonary hypertension, and know all of the things that you need to know without going on this wild goose chase on Google. You can buy that part separate without questions if you want to, and it's a lot cheaper. But the questions are where the money is, for my opinion. Um, so these questions are harder, in my opinion, than UWorld. I also think that they are more similar to step two than UWorld is. There's a lot of controversy about that. But I think that the way that Amboss asks the questions is more of the kind of deductive reasoning skills that you need for step two compared to pure content, you know it or you don't, that comes with UWorld. They're harder, but they get your mind kind of thinking in the, in the right way to prepare yourself for step two. So Amboss, highly recommend. It's kind of pricey. I think it's worth it. They have different kinds of programs and scholarships for people who have low income to kind of offset costs. A lot of schools have group discounts. I would get on it. Another supplemental thing where you're like, dang, Michael, I just need more. I need more resources. Okay, um, Divine Intervention. So there's this guy. His name is Divine. He is now a physician. But when he was a medical student, he went to Johns Hopkins and he made a bunch of YouTube video reviews for shelves. That's what I used before every single one of my comats. I would watch his online hour or so review. I would download his PowerPoint. 
And I would go through it just like I was doing an exam review. And it was great. 10 out of 10. Cannot recommend it enough. In addition to that, I would listen to his podcast on and off throughout the weeks. So if I had my IM Comat, I would listen to a week of pulmonary. I would listen to a week of cardio just on my way to and from the hospital. Super simple. Pop it on in your car. Go for a walk. Listen to it. It's great. I even got to the point where if I felt like I was behind or something... I would run on the treadmill and listen to divine intervention, which I do not condone because I think that, you know, exercise and wellness activities need to be completely mindful. No regrets. Now you're thinking, maybe I should take step two. Maybe that's a good option for me if I feel ready. And then I've been preparing for my COMATS. I feel pretty good about my COMAT scores. Even if you don't feel pretty good about your COMAT scores, You can always bounce back. It's still early. It's January. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Now you know. Maybe integrate some of the things that I've talked about, how I study for my comats, into your next comat. See if it makes a difference for you. Let me know if it does. So now we're going to talk about step two kind of timeline. I get this question a lot. How long did you study for step two? How did you do the questions? Did you do them random or organized by system? What's the latest I can take step two? Should I try to take it at the very end or the very beginning? How does step two compare to level two? So many questions, and I'm going to try to go through all of them right now, so buckle up. So first of all, timeline-wise, time to study, I would, I would give yourself between six and eight weeks. Keeping in mind that if you take step two in level two, you need to use one of those weeks just to take the tests. Because for me, I am a step two before level two kind of kind of girly. I, you know, study for step two. And then in those four days after step two, before my level two, I cram OPP. I watch everything about OPP that I can in those four days. And then I take level two. So that's six days. So that's an entire week, basically, that you're just using for the test and OPP and then the other test. So I think I took probably eight weeks um, because I had kind of a, a hard situation, but four of those weeks need to be completely dedicated. And by completely dedicated, I mean eight hours per day of uninterrupted study time, preferably 10, but we're all human here and we know that time can get away from us. So In your third year, everybody gets one month of vacation from their clerkships. What's difficult is that not every school lets their students pick which month they're going to take their vacation. So you may have had your vacation in September. And honestly, that kind of sucks. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That sucks. I had my vacation, I think, in like March And even that kind of sucked. Use your vacation month if you can. Like if you have that vacation month set aside for April or May, that is chef's kiss. I love that for you. But if your vacation month isn't one of your last rotations, you can try to do a rotation that you've heard has good hours. So by that, I mean you're only in the hospital, rounding actually doing patient care for for a couple of hours. Maybe there's a lot of downtime. Maybe the preceptor is known for just letting you go early, things like that. And obviously, I'm not condoning like leaving your rotations early or anything like that. I am just saying to use your time wisely while you are on that rotation. That is all that I'm saying. Try to do a rotation where you can effectively use your time wisely for studying as best as you can. 
And then you're also given four weeks in fourth year, except in fourth year, you can decide when you use your weeks. So what I did was I used two of my weeks from fourth year at the very beginning of my fourth year. And I used that for dedicated and to take the test. I'm going to give like kind of a backstory. So I had all of my rotations and then I had my vacation month and then I had OBGYN. I tried for literally months to get my OBGYN to switch with my vacation month so that I would have my vacation month truly for my dedicated time. But how I kind of maximized my time was I studied as much as I could for step two, level two during my vacation month because it was so close to the end. So I studied for every rotation that I had had up until that point. And then I had to stop studying during my OBGYN rotation because it was such an involved rotation. Like I was, I had to drive an hour each way. I was there for 10 hours every day. It was a long, hard rotation. And for me, that was hard because I felt like I was basically losing all of this knowledge that I had spent the previous month studying like I was on dedicated. And then now I'm spending a month just learning OBGYN. It was amazing. I had a great time, but I felt like I was losing all of it. And then I did infectious disease and it was more of a laid back kind of rotation. We were a consulting service in a very small hospital. So we didn't have a lot of patients at all. There was a lot of downtime. I used that rotation to basically recover any of the knowledge that I had lost during my OBGYN rotation. I got a lot of studying done during that month. And then I took two weeks at the beginning of my fourth year to round out studying, go like balls to the wall studying, and then take the test. That was my journey. Everyone's journey looks different. But just to show you that my journey was just as messy, here you go. Now we're going to talk about the actual tests. How do you study for it? I'm going to give you the whole, the whole rundown, okay? I think that the most common controversy about doing practice questions is do you do it random or do you organize by system? And I used to be a random girl, you know? I used to just do it on random and see what happens happens and I realized during my third year that that was literally like shooting myself in the foot, quotations by literally divine intervention himself. If anybody asks me, should it be random or organized by a system, I'm going to say organized by system every single time, and I'm going to tell you why. So some people are going to come at me and claim, well, you should do it random because if you do it organized by system, you'll only get questions right because you know the system. And that logic is intrinsically flawed because if you are doing questions how you're supposed to be doing them, which is through reasoning, you should not even be thinking about this, that you previously checked the box that you're doing an infectious disease question set. If you realize that you got a question right for the wrong reasons, aka you knew that it was a cardio set, so you picked cardio as as your answer choice, then obviously you didn't know that material well enough and you should make an Anki card on it. I'm going to tell you why I like organized by system. When you base it on the system, it allows you to take deeper dives on each topic. So if you base it on a system, it allows you to see the differential diagnoses one question after another. And then you really start to pick up on those subtle findings that distinguish hypertrophic cardiomyopathy versus diastolic heart failure. If you do an entire question set on GI, 
you very quickly realize that they can ask you probably a hundred questions about abdominal pain. Patient comes in with abdominal pain, it could be a volvulus, it could be biliary, it could be their pancreas, it could be their liver, inflammatory versus irritable bowel disease, it could be cardiac, it could be an abdominal aortic aneurysm, it could be genitourinary, it could be their ovaries, it could be a teratoma, it could be an infectious disease. It could be after a surgical complication. Like there's so many things, but all of those in the question sem are from abdominal pain. Isn't that wild? Doing questions by system allows you to see these differential diagnoses and pick up on patterns. Pattern recognition is the name of this game, I promise you. Step one, level one, was very much a content test. Whereas step two, level two, is all about pattern recognition. Are they asking for the diagnosis? They might be asking for the next best step. What's the gold standard for treatment or diagnosis? And what are some of the complications? There's a laundry list of questions that they can ask you based on any one given pathology, but you need to know how that pathology changes based on one little thing that they can say. And don't get me wrong, random question sets are so good for practice exams, like the NBME exams, but for content review, it's just way too overwhelming. Out of the 20 to 40 topics that you're, that you're taking that test on, you're learning only about surface level parts of those questions. You're learning about things without context, really. You're like, okay, so now I know that oligoclonal bands on... CSF is for MS. Okay, but are you learning about any of the other demyelinating conditions? Do those have oligoclonal bands? What about the MRI for MS? What about other CSF findings? Like you're not you're not able to dive in on that topic and see how one little thing that they give you on the labs or one little thing that they give you on the physical exam can change the entire question. If you get one question about the diagnosis of MS, and then you get one question about the next best step, and then you get one question about the treatment, at that point, you're an MS master. Congrats, you you did a day of MS, and now you're a master at it. And you're like, well, Michael, what if I did that question set at the beginning of my dedicated? I'm going to forget it by the end. I would say no, you're not going to forget it. If you knew it when you took that practice test, you're going to know it at the end, and if you got anything wrong on that practice test about MS, you would make an Anki card on it, and then you're gonna see that Anki card in your missed questions deck every single day until you take that level two. That's all that I wanna say about random versus organized, and like, hit me up, we'll have a discussion about random versus organized, but um, I also want to give a plug for Divine Intervention's podcast about step two, level two. And another way that he talks about how organized by system is better because when you do it organized by system, you're able to do content review so much more efficiently while you're doing practice questions. Like your practice questions become your content review. And then you don't need to go off and watch Boards and Beyond or watch online meta anymore. Like this is your content review. These 40 questions are literally, one, you're learning how to take the test. Two, you're learning the content. And three, you are developing test-taking skills along the way. So that's that. Now we're going to talk about creating a study schedule. 
This is probably one of the most common questions that I get is how did you make a study schedule and how do you stick to it? How many hours per day do you dedicate to this or that? And I think at the end of the day, you should know what works for you. I can tell you all about my study schedule, but how you study best for your comats, and that's kind of another reason why when you study for your comats throughout the year, you are learning not only the material for step two, level two, but you're also learning about yourself. You're learning what worked for me on this comat versus the last one. What can I change? Do I need more Anki time? Do I need less Anki time, etc. This is my study schedule. And I base this off of Divine Interventions podcast with like a little bit of flair, but here we go. So in the morning, I would wake up at like 7 a.m. And I would start onking while I ate my breakfast and drank my coffee. And I would do onky reviews until 11. So what is that? Four hours of onky review. And then I would go to the gym or go take a walk and do three sets of 40 on UWorld, building up to four sets a day. So I would do one set timed, organized by system, and then I would review it, and then I would do another set, and then I would review it, and then I would do another set, and then I would review it. So that's 120 questions. It's a lot of questions, but each one of those sets should be taking you an hour. And then the review, you have to be careful because you can review 40 questions for the rest of the day, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to get sucked into the wormhole. You just got to get through the review. So I would give yourself maybe 45 to 50 minutes max, maximum to review those 40 questions. So do one set for an hour, 10 minute break, do your review for 45 minutes. Do the next set an hour, take a 10 minute break, do your review. So do that back and forth. So that's about six hours of work. By then, you know, it's probably 7.30 p.m. You eat dinner, you watch a show, you go to bed. It's a great day. Another thing that I want to note on this study schedule is that once I was through with UWorld from my comats, I didn't really do UWorld anymore. I did not reset UWorld. I think that resetting UWorld and doing it over from scratch is one of the most frustrating things that we as students can do because at that point, you're just recognizing the questions. You already have all of your missed questions as Anki cards that you're seeing every day for the past nine months. Why do you need to do UWorld again? I started doing UWorld again, and then I was like, I'm literally only getting these right because I recognize the question, so I need to stop. And I think I only did it for about two days, and then I pivoted. And I'm so glad I did. What did I do when I was finished with UWorld? I moved on to Amboss. That's a natural progression anyway because Amboss is way harder than than UWorld, like I said before. I did Amboss and went through some of my wrong or flagged questions on UWorld. If if I was like, wow, I'm really I'm really messing up on cardiology. Maybe I should go back to UWorld and do some of my missed questions on cardiology. Then I did that, but I never reset UWorld. Like don't don't reset it. That's a waste. So I did Amboss. Same kind of organization, timed by system, one set review, one set review, one set review for six hours. And that way you're building your stamina, you're building your test taking strategies, you're building your content review. It's great, especially because Amboss, their explanations are so much better than UWorld. 
And because you have such simple access to their articles, if you do a question on non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and you got it wrong, AMBOSS is going to give you a little blurb about why you got it wrong, but you can also just click the read more button and it'll take you to their entire article on non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It goes through the epidemiology, the definitions, any imaging, diagnostic steps, treatment, complications, everything. And it's organized so well. And there's even little videos from osmosis. It's great. 10 out of 10. That's what I did. And then towards the end, I started doing more practice exams, started really getting myself ready for the real thing. So this is the order that I did my practice exams in. Keeping in mind, everyone's on their own journey. This was just the order that I was told to do them in based on their difficulty. So like I said before, I did my dedicated month and then I had to do my OBGYN and then I did another dedicated month to kind of catch up on whatever I lost during my OBGYN. So right before my OBGYN, I took the AMBOSS self-assessment. That was really hard because I hadn't even done any OBGYN, but I did it. So I would recommend doing the AMBOSS self-assessment tool. I think that it's great. They give you a predictive score, and I'm pretty sure that it was right on the money for where I ended up, but I continued studying after it. So technically, it was an over-predictor. So I did the AMBOSS self-assessment, and then I did a month of OBGYN, and then I did my, my dedicated during my infectious disease rotation. At the start of that rotation, I did my U-World self-assessment 1, and then I did NBME 9, NBME 10 a week later, NBME 11 a week after that, and then I did U-World self-assessment 2 with the free 120 to mimic almost a full-length exam. So that is five or six practice exams. The NBME exams are not cheap. They're pretty expensive. Oh, and then I also took the school that I'm at gave us a COMSE, which is basically a level two NBME kind of exam. I preferred the NBMEs over COMSEs. I think that COMSEs were very much, they were kind of similar to level two, but I felt like I was being challenged more with NBMEs. I felt like NBMEs really emphasized that kind of reasoning skills. They weren't just like you either know it or you don't. It was very, you had to reason through your answers. So that's why I chose to do NBMEs over COMSEs. But our school actually made us do a COMSE before we could take our exam. These NBME exams and COMSEs are not cheap. They're kind of expensive. But in my opinion, I think that that was a price that I was willing to take to really prepare myself for what I needed to do. So I just want to go through really quick how level two and step two are different, like how the tests themselves are just different tests. In my opinion, for level one and step one, they were very much similar tests. There was a lot of basic sciences on them. It was all stuff that I learned in didactics first and second year, but obviously level one had OPP on it, while step one didn't have OPP on it. Level one had a lot more one-liners where it was like, what is this, basically? And then it shows a picture, and then you just had to know what it was, whereas step one was big paragraphs. So with that in mind, how step two compares to level two is, again, step two has those huge paragraphs, whereas level two has a lot more one-liners, but I felt like step two and level two 
were on completely opposite sides of the spectrum of tests. Step two was very reasoning based. It was very much like, even if you don't know the answer, you might be able to get to the answer based on what you already know if you can kind of reason your way through this patient's case. Whereas level two was like, okay, we gave you four findings. What's the answer? And it was so much ethics. It was so much OPP. It had a lot of stats on it. It was just, it was not the test that I thought it was going to be. I thought that it was going to be a lot closer to step two, especially because I took step two on like a Monday and I took level two on like a Friday. And so in between, I only looked at OPP, but I was ready going into level two, like, okay, it's going to be like step two with OPP. No, it was, it was a different game. It was a different test, completely different. It was very much like, the science questions that I got, I felt like I was doing Anki cards, which was good because it was just very quick, like, okay, it's B, move on. And then there was just so much OPP and there were so, so many ethics questions. And half of the ethics questions were just felt very random. I felt like there wasn't a right answer half the time. I felt like maybe I would do both of the answers, etc. For level two, like I said before, those four days that I had in between, I watched every online med ed OPP video, and that was the only time that I would recommend watching videos for reviewing. Otherwise, I never rewatched an online med ed video. I never watched any boards and beyond. I never really watched an osmosis video unless I was extremely, extremely confused. I think that happened one time with good pasture syndrome because I always forget that guy. But other than that, I do not believe in passive learning. I think that videos are such a waste of time. I would much rather learn from practice questions and reviewing things that I got wrong. Again, my opinion, how I learn might be different than how you learn. That was my journey. So I did online med ed OPP videos and the Savory Screen Book. If you are a DO student and you do not own the Savory Screen Book, please go on Amazon and buy it. I do not get any money from the Savory Screen Book but I would say that that was probably the best purchase that I made for OMT thus far. And then there's also an OMT Anki deck that's on Reddit and on Discord. I found that there were so many problems with that deck that I ended up spending more time fixing the problems in it than I actually did doing the cards. So I stopped doing them after a couple of days, honestly. So that was kind of a bust for me, but maybe the problems have been fixed. Okay, moving on to ethics. Some people use Boards and Beyond for ethics. Again, I'm not a huge videos person, so I did not do that. I use Divine Intervention podcasts in the car on long walks, and I did a ton of ethics and boss questions. The ethics questions on AMBOSS were so much better than the ethics questions on UWorld, in my opinion. I felt like they really were close to the things that were on the test. They were really, really hard. And that's what you need. There's also an Anki deck called Step Up to Ethics. I found that that deck was super simple. I did it maybe with three days left. I started it. And so I only saw those cards maybe two to three times a piece. It's better than nothing. I learned a couple of terms. I don't know if they ended up showing up on the test or not, but it made me feel like I was actually doing something to prepare for ethics other than practice questions and divine. And then for stats. So stats was very heavy on level two. It's also on step two, but I felt like it was there was a lot on level two, so I saved it for this section of the podcast. But I saved stats for the very last minute. 
I saved stats for maybe having two weeks left. I started doing a couple stats questions. And then I think that I was getting a lot wrong. So I actually kind of pushed it back. So maybe it was a week left. But I did all of the Amboss questions on stats, all of the UWorld questions on stats. There's so many good YouTube channels and stuff for med school statistics. They really go over the difference between specificity, sensitivity, all the different risk calculations that you need to do, all of the formulas, really easy ways to get to the formulas, all of that jazz on YouTube. So I gave you all of the rundown on step two versus level two, a pretty basic timeline, how I studied for COMATS, which is kind of how I studied for step two, level two. Now you're probably thinking, okay, I have six to eight weeks to take the test. Basically, like that's my dedicated time. When do I do that? When's the latest that I can do it? What if I'm not ready at the end of third year? And trust me, I think that a lot of people do not feel ready at the end of third year, but I would take it as close to the end of third year as you possibly can. When all of that stuff is kind of fresh, you know, you just went through all those clinical rotations. Maybe you've had Tazanki running this entire time, which would be amazing. Even if you can have like just one of the easy clinical rotations Tazanki is running, like psych or OBGYN, something very small, like they don't have as many cards, keep that running until you take your boards, that would be good. But take these board exams as close as you can to the end of third year and take it when you have the time to study, like when you know that you're going to have the time. Don't take them if you're not ready. I know that it's hard because you say, well, I never feel ready. I don't know if I'll ever get there. You will get there. Trust me. You just have to put the time in and don't take the test if you're not ready. How do you know if you're ready? You're getting your NBME score that you had your goal. So like for me, my goal score for USMLE, I had my goal. I did not take my test until I was consistently scoring above that goal on my NBME practice exams. And then keep in mind that ARIS apps open for submission in mid-September. So I think the latest that I would take it is August. Obviously, you can submit ARIS without a score, but I would not do that. I would really, really advise everyone to make sure that your application is complete when you are submitting in mid-September of your fourth year. That's all that I have to say right now, but this has been a good chat. I am here for all of you and your questions and your comments and your concerns. Literally, if you just want to vent, you can submit your questions about all things medical school to my website, Dear Dio Pod. I thank you so much for listening. You can follow on Instagram and TikTok at dear.do.pod. You can check out the official website, deardopod.com, for blog posts, some guides. You can submit all your questions comments, concerns through the submit button on the top right. And you can support the continuation of this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly. And thank you so much for tuning in and hanging in there with me. I hope to see you next time. Mm